maybe this has happened to you. It happened to me uh, a couple weeks ago. I went to the store to get some milk, some 2% milk, Mm -hmm. and all they had was whole and skim. Mm, Sounds like a nightmare. So I wondered, could I make the milk I wanted by buying whole and skim and combining them? Online with us now is Tom Hugendorn. He's a dairy farmer in British Columbia. Tom, would would that work? Well, I I guess if you buy whole milk, I know here up here in Canada, the whole milk is 3.2% butterfat, and um, I would imagine it's the same your way. So mm-hmm. if you would take equal equal amounts of uh, 1% and equal amounts of uh, whole milk, you would, by ma- mathematically, you'd get just over 2% butterfat by uh, volume. So whole milk is, is just 3.2%? Yes. Wow, okay. Yeah. So it's not, it's not 100% milk. No. I, you know, the biggest, one of the biggest things the dairy industry did wrong was talking about butterfat, butterfat because for a while, butterfat had a bad name, right? as being fat. Now, it, we should have marketed it as 97% fat-free, like like some of the other foods, and everybody would have yeah. kept going on it, right? Well, so, okay, so if I just got whole milk, uh, could I just add water until I got to 2%? And no, because don't forget, you've got protein in the milk, solids, not fat, and, and some other sorts of um, natural occurring stuff in the milk. You would dilute the taste if you added half water. Half water. Okay, what about if you added, say, soy milk or almond milk? I can't tell you. I've never tried soy milk or almond milk, but I, 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 it would change the taste. It, it wouldn't be one or the other. If you like almond milk and, and whole milk, I'm sure, um, I'm sure it would taste okay. What would it take, Tom, to get you to try something like soy milk? My daughter was trying it for a little while, you know, in the home of a dairy farmer. There's a, a, a quart of uh, soy milk. I'll tell you, I put it in the back of the fridge, and I never even put it to my lips once. <laughs> <laughs> That's sacrilege for a dairy farmer. Come on. <laughs> hey, if you're looking for a podcast that talks uh, about cows less than we do, Take a listen to Microphone Check, hosted by Ali Shaheed Muhammad from A Tribe Called Quest and Franny Kelly. On Microphone Check, they talk to the biggest names and the best-kept secrets in hip-hop. Those are secrets that NPR is ready to reveal. It really sounds better than most NPR shows, doesn't it? Learn what's happening in culture now and how we got here on Microphone Check at npr.org slash podcasts. Hey, Dusty, we understand there's something we can help you with. Um, yeah, basically, uh, I went to lunch with a couple buddies, and we're just sitting around having a conversation as you do, just like your standard kind of lunchtime banter. But uh, the conversation with asparagus came up, and people kind of went around like, "Oh yeah, like asparagus, it's it, it's fine, whatever." And somebody's like, "Oh yeah, it's great, but that adverse side effect is not something I like about it." And I didn't know what that meant. I thought like, "Oh, does it mean you kind of get like a rash, or like maybe <laughs> break on hives of some sorts?" And I just didn't really know what they were talking about, and. Uh, then it finally came out that, well, it actually makes your urine smell. And I had no idea that that was something that happened to people because um, I've never experienced that before. And so there are four of us and three people of the four all said they experienced it, and so it was completely easy to just me. So I'm basically just curious why I don't experience that when other people do. Well, since, since that conversation, have you eaten asparagus? Not yet. I Literally, my last trip to the supermarket, I bought them and sit in my refrigerator I'm going to cook it up either tonight or tomorrow just to like double check. But uh, yeah, so I, I haven't since. Are you are you nervous about eating asparagus? 
I wouldn't say I'm nervous, but I'm curious. Dr. Joseph Napoli is a professor of asparagus at Berkeley in California. Dr. Napoli is, in fact, chair of the Nutritional Sciences and Toxicology Department at the University of California. Arts. Dr. Napoli, how is it possible that Dusty had never heard of this? Well, it's possible for two reasons. Um, not everyone metabolizes the ingredient in asparagus that gives that odor. So the ingredient is uh, called asparagusic acid. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's unique to asparagus, and it's a sulfur-containing compound. And so when you ingest it, some people uh, convert it into some very smelly compounds, but some don't. And there's a second reason, and that is that some people can smell it and others cannot. Oh, so is it possible that Dusty, um, that his pee smells like that, but he can't smell it? That is correct. If it's not too personal a question, where do you fall? uh, Can you produce it? I can. And can you smell it? I can. And when this happens, do you think about the scientific processes or... Oh, every time. Yep. Yeah, it's, you can't help it. You just can't help thinking, here I go again. And, you know, I, my brother um, doesn't. And when I, if you're talking to a non-producer or a non-detector and you say to them something like, um, do you know anything strange about your urine after you eat asparagus? They'll look at you like, what are you, crazy? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. why would you ask me such a question? Then you know right away they're one of either a non-producer or a non-detector. Can your brother detect it? No, because he, I, I think he's uh, probably both. Okay, sure. Not that I've ever followed him into the into the laboratory. But. Hey, I have a brother. We used to have sword fights when we were kids. It happens. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, Dr. Napoli, thank you so much for uh, helping out Dusty. Okay. Okay, so it is possible. It's possible that Dusty actually produces the smell, but he can't detect it. He could, he could be producing this horrible thing and have no idea that you know he's affecting those around him. So we, we want to diagnose Dusty. We want to find out what's going on with him and asparagus. So we've asked him, along with his co-workers, to do a little experiment. So one of his co-workers has the mic now. Gary, uh, could j- just take it away. Hello. So we're here in our office. We've got Dusty. Hello? Jamie? And we've cooked some asparagus in uh, some butter and some salt. And we're going to eat it now. It's about two o'clock. And we're gonna, uh, we're gonna eat the asparagus and we're gonna drink a load of water. And then hopefully uh, when we're all ready to burst, we're gonna reconvene inside of a, uh, a toilet. Okay, so Gary is, is gonna go first. And I, I should say these guys uh, were kind enough to record all the sound effects uh, of this experiment, it is far too gross for us, so we're going to replace the sound effects. Besides, you know what it sounds like when someone's going pee. Uh, so it's been about two hours since we've eaten a ton of asparagus and uh, drinking tons of water, and now we're going to go test out and see uh, the conclusion of this experiment. So Gary's going to go first, and I'm going to wait outside and then follow in after he's done and see if I notice anything, and then we'll switch and see if he notices anything after I go. (laughs) And we'll go from there. 
Good, come on, I'm gonna burst. Tell no difference. There's definitely a little tone of something in the air. It doesn't smell, this bathroom smells no different to me than it does any other time. Yeah, it's very, I mean, that's not the strongest asparagus we. Okay, so we can determine now that Dusty does not detect the smell. Uh, now it's time to see if he produces it. Okay, so I'm stood outside waiting for Dusty to have his wee. Um, I can hear he's finished, so let's. I'm going to walk in and see what we smell. Hello. There you go. Hello. You see, there's definitely that absolutely stinks. Yeah. So there you go. Dusty makes stinky asparagus pee, but he can't smell it. We did it. You know, if you're wondering about uh, where you stand on the asparagus odor spectrum, I'm sure Gary would be willing to help. Now it's the part of our show where we like to talk to you about our sponsors. This is where uh, corporations have paid millions of dollars so that we'll talk about them on the air. Uh, but before we do that, we want to bring on a special guest. Hi, I'm Dara Torres, and I was a five-time Olympian and 12-time medalist, and now I'm a mom and motivational speaker. So you uh, you competed in, in the pool in, I think, every Olympic since L.A., right? Uh, not every. I actually have skipped a few. Um, but it's true. It has been since 84. Well, um, so over the years, you've been in the pool with a lot of different people in their, in their swim trunks. Is that, is that fair to say? That's a fair assessment. Would you think it's uh, appropriate to call this group of people kind of a, a trunk club or a trunks club? Um, if maybe you're in your 70s, uh, swim trunks is a proper name, but I'd say swimsuits, suit club. Well, this seems like a perfect time to talk to you about a trunk club, which is okay. a men's outfitting service. It's designed for guys who don't have time or desire to go shopping. Ah. After, after signing up for a trunk club, you'll be matched with your own personal stylist who, after getting to know your preferences, will handpick a selection of premium clothing, pack it in a trunk, and ship it straight to your door. Are there personal stylists in your trunk club? Um... Well, with Trunk Club, you'll have 10 days to try everything on. You keep what you love, and you send the rest back. You only pay for what you keep, and shipping is free both ways. So in your Trunks Club, um, is, there, is there anything free both ways? Um. <laughs> I guess you're probably more familiar with free style than free shipping. Exactly. Good one. That was a good one. That was really good, Ian. That was. You can get started at trunkclub.com slash everything. <laughs> okay. Do you guys do this every day? We do, have, we do have another sponsor today. Support for How to Do Everything comes from stamps.com, the quick and easy way to buy and print real U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. Just click print and mail. You'll never have to go to the post office again. For a no-risk trial and special bonus offer, go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter everything. That's stamps.com. Enter everything.
Hey, Mountain, what can we help you with? Okay, so I work at a sushi restaurant, and I am the hot cook. So I cook, like, stir fries and uh, tempura veggies and that kind of stuff. Okay. And I pour a lot of tempura batter into a commercial fryer. And it used to be this tempura would build up in the bottom of the fryer into this thick, hard-to-clean-out mess. And then one day I accidentally spilt water into the fryer, and I found that for some reason that cold water brought all the crunchies up to the surface where I could scoop them off and made cleaning the fryer so easy after that because all I had to do was basically drain it and give it a little scrub, and I was good to go. What? I know when I'm frying things, if I get the slightest bit of water in there, it goes crazy. Did you get burned? Uh, no. It was the first time it was just a little bit of water, like a half a cup, and it excited the oil, and I just stood back from it. And now I just pour in between half a cup and a cup and stand back away from it and let it go. Well, it sounds to me, Mountain, like you've you've called up with a solution to a problem. Is there anything we can do for you? I just wanted to know why it worked. What brings these dense crunchies from the bottom of the fryer that are denser than the water all the way to the top to float on top of oil. Yeah. All right, we'll look into this for you. All right. Thank you. Well, it sounds like we need to talk to somebody who knows a lot about science and also a lot about cooking uh, dangerous things. Donna Nelson is a chemistry professor at the University of Oklahoma and was a science advisor on Breaking Bad. So, Donna, you heard Mountain. Uh, What's going on there? Yeah, well, um, there are some parts of the answer that uh, will be certain uh, for it, and then some parts that I'll have to speculate on. The part that's certain is that the uh, the solids from the tempura batter are going to be more dense than the oil, and so they're going to sink down to the bottom of the uh, fryer. And so um, that's why they're on the bottom, the, the solids, because they're more dense. And then, as you probably know, you've heard many, many times, about uh, gasoline and oil will float on the top of water. And so uh, that's because water, again, is more dense than the oil, more dense than the cooking oil in this case. And so when he accidentally dropped in that water, it also sank to the bottom because water is more dense than oil. And so uh, there it is. You have the uh, water and the solids on the bottom underneath the uh, oil. And so that's, that's the definite part. The speculative part uh, becomes on exactly how the, the uh, solids and the water mixed with each other. And probably what happened is just there was uh, just the, the water vaporized, of course, in this extremely hot oil, and then probably those vapors, the, the uh, vaporized water, adhered to those solids and just simply lifted them up because the water vapor, of course, would rise to the top. And so as it rose, it probably just brought up those uh, solids. Wow. Kind of escorted them back to the surface. That's exactly right. So it probably just adhered to the surfaces of those solids and just 
you know, raised them. It's really exciting, isn't it, that this uh, accident in the kitchen uh, created a method uh, that makes something people with this job have to do so much easier. You know, that, that sort of thing happens a lot in science, that sort of serendipity. It's just what, what is the remarkable part is that he recognized it. Uh, sometimes people will just see that sort of thing happen and then just ignore it, you know, and put it out of their minds. But, you know, this ability to recognize it and to continue using it, uh, I think it's terrific. It's really interesting. The only thing, again, that I would say is to be really careful because if you put in too much water, you could have almost, uh, you know, a, too vigorous of a uh, of a vaporization, and some of that oil can be thrown out onto people around around that cooker. So really, uh, Donna, this is something that Mountain can try in the safety of his kitchen, uh, <laughs> but we shouldn't try this at home. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to try it. So uh, what what do you think is more dangerous, spilling a cup of water into a deep fryer or um, making meth? <laughs> uh, meth. Yeah. That's probably... Uh, pretty a pretty dangerous thing to do i we we both love breaking bad so much and there's you know there's so much going on in that show what's an example of something you did uh in that in that capacity worked on a lot of things like pronunciation of the chemicals and um they didn't want to do things like do what i what are called stoichiometric calculations if you start out with this much methylamine how much meth will it make Uh you know those sorts of calculations and so they turned to me for that. And one of the funniest things I, I helped with was when I was having to do that calculation. And, and I told them, you know, well, I have to know the exact synthesis you want to use in order to calculate the percent yield. And that's what I'll have to have in order to uh, calculate your, your, uh, how much meth this will make. And I said, I you know, for, step one is always the same in this particular synthesis, but a lot of different reducing agents can be used for step two. Which one do you want to use? And they, they said, well, we don't know. You know, can you send us some examples? And I sent them a whole list of examples, and it was stuff like uh, catalytic hydrogenation over palladium, catalytic hydrogenation over platinum, you know, sodium borohydride, all the, and then it got down to the very last one although it wasn't a real common one, and it was simply mercury aluminum. And they said, yeah, that's the one we want to use because it'll be easy for the actors to say. <laughs> and so when you watch them doing this synthesis on there, when they're dumping in the aluminum shavings and all this, that's how they decided to use that synthesis, so it would be easy for the actors to say. Wow. <laughs> well, Donna, thank you so much for uh, helping out Mountain. Oh, my pleasure. And I, again, I think he should be commended for uh, recognizing this, you know, the serendipity there. That does it for this week's show. What we learned today, Mike? Well, I learned that uh, it's not a sure thing that if you eat asparagus that your urine will smell bad afterwards. You know, it's, it seems like in, in the long history of man telling stories and eating asparagus that there would have been a murder mystery where asparagus was a clue. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a crime scene where there's a dead body and a plate of uh, asparagus uh, discards. Yeah. And and then later they get a suspect, they take him into the police station, and they make him pee, and it smells like asparagus, and they know that he was the one who was there. Because who else could have done it? Because his pee smells like asparagus. Yeah. 
Or, you know what? If you're a murderer, don't eat asparagus at the crime scene because it's going to be a giveaway later. Choose a different murder snack. Or do eat asparagus and murder somebody who's nowhere near asparagus. Because then, no, I look at, smell my pee. I couldn't have done that. You're actually using asparagus as your alibi. Exactly. I learned that whole milk is just over 3%. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I hadn't really thought about it before, but I think I had imagined it was 100%. Yeah. Which, that would just be butter, right? I think it would, or like a block of cheese. Yeah. Which is not not great on cereal. Actually, if you melt that cheese, mm, yeah, that would actually be pretty good. Oh yeah, sort of like a kind of breakfast nacho. Yeah, could you imagine like like, uh, like frosted flakes just covered in like brie? Mm, you're making me hungry and sick. You know, it's fun being disembodied voices in your ears, not entering the flesh world. But we were thinking it would be fun to maybe get together. To meet you, our listener. To put on shirts and go outside. So we're having a meetup. An actual in-the-flesh gathering here in Chicago at the hideout. It'll be on Wednesday, April 8th from 6 to 9 p.m. We would love it if you could come have a beer or the non-alcoholic cocktail of your choosing. It's a Wednesday night. What else are you going to do from 6 to 9 on April 8th? What's on what's on TV on Wednesdays? Is that when the mentalist is on? Is that still on? Join us for our mentalist watching party at the Hideout in Chicago. It's a great place. We love it. Wednesday, April 8th, 6 to 9 p.m. How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Jeanette Harris Courts. Keep up the good work, Jeanette. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. That's where you can find out about our April 8th gathering at the hideout. I'm Ian. I'm Mike. Thanks.